as, as Sandra mentioned, we are well and truly in the season, aren't we? Where it's descending upon us. The countdown to Christmas has begun. And over this, uh, over this season, over this Advent season, as we traditionally call it, we've been reminding ourselves about the thrill of hope that Christmas brings. Christmas is often described as the most wonderful, yet it can also be the most demanding time of the year, can't it? It can be quite demanding. There's lots of pressure uh, put upon us at Christmas. One of the things that drives me crazy about Christmas is Christmas songs. I don't know if you've ever, you're on the same wavelength as me, but um, aren't they just annoying? Yeah, anybody, anybody agree? They're just, just annoying, aren't they? You turn the radio on, you go into shops, and it's the same monotonous sound of Christmas songs. Anybody heard of Whamageddon? Anybody heard of Whamageddon? A few of you. Whamageddon is um, for the month of December to see how long you can avoid the Christmas classic Last Christmas, sung by Wham. Okay, I I was out yesterday. We had we had our Vineyard Kids. We had our Vineyard Kids Christmas party, and it came on. I was like, oh, I've heard it. But if you haven't heard Last Christmas yet, um, then you can still partake in Whamageddon, okay? See how long you can avoid last Christmas. Why don't you take 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you behind you and tell them the most annoying Christmas song uh, that you know of, okay? On your marks, get set, go. Anybody, Anybody got Fairy Tale of New York? I hate that song. I hate that song, Fairy Tale in New York. Some of the people like that. I, I might be bursting a sacred cow if I say that one. Um, I'll tell you my one, the one that I hate with complete passion, mistletoe and wine. Anybody, anybody agree with me on that one, mistletoe and wine? Uh, it's all very sway, isn't it? And um, I remember when I was about eight years old, my brother, who's like eight years older than me, thought it'd be good for us to work out the harmonies for that song. Uh, I'm scarred. I'm scarred for life. Um, but, you know, we all, we all kind of have a love-hate relationship with Christmas songs. But as much as certain Christmas songs may drive us mad, music and song has always been part of the Christmas story. Over the coming weeks... I looked at my diary and somehow I've got to try and be at seven Christmas carol services across our church uh, this, uh, this uh, Christmas time. But, you know, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating this season by singing carols that retell the story of what this remarkable season means, retell the story. And often, um, you know, they are our biggest gatherings in the church calendar, aren't they? They're environments where people want to be and sing these wonderful songs. You see, music and song are a key part of this season because it's one of the best ways that we can describe the mystery of the Christmas story. And in fact, music and song are, are very much part of the first Christmas story. Uh, and often we see in the scriptures the response that people had to this good news 
that a child is going to be born, that, that their response was often a song. And so this morning, I want to look at a particular song uh, found in the very first Christmas story, often referred to as Mary's song, um, or uh, we might call it the Magnificat. The Magnificat is just a Latin word. It means to, to magnify, to praise, to glorify. It's a song of praise that Mary sings to God in response to this amazing message that the angel of the Lord brings to her. So if you've got a Bible, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And um, it's always good to bring your Bible to church because if you don't, I could be making it up and you would never know. So um, bring your Bibles to church. I'm, I'm a bit of a paper Bible person myself. I'm not very good at digitally reading my Bible because I get distracted with angry birds. Um, um, but um, so if, you, if you've got a Bible, dust it off and make sure you, you bring it to church. So Mary, as we know, is the mother of Jesus. And she often uh, has a level of um, attention at this time of year. Uh, but if you think about it for a moment, we don't really know that much about this woman. Um, if we were to compile everything that was said about her in the scriptures, there wouldn't be enough to write a biography. There, there, wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough there. Uh, we don't know uh, much about her life before she gave birth to Jesus. We don't know, um, we don't have any idea how she raised him. We have no idea how she died. Um, we just don't know that much about her. Uh, she was obviously there at the birth of Jesus, kind of needed to be. She needed to be there. Uh, she's mentioned a few times in the Gospels, once in the book of Acts, and that's about it. And yet, historically, at least in some wings of the church, some traditions of the church, she's often elevated and sometimes made more than what the scriptures actually reveal to us about who she was. Now, there are some extra biblical definitions or ways that people have projected something onto Mary that just simply isn't who she is. And I think it's probably important, if we're going to look at this, this song that Mary sings, it's important to see, to see this. Some, some portions of the church, and I'm not pointing fingers when I say this, but some portions of the church would say Mary was sinless. That somehow, if, if she was a sinner like you and me, she would, she would contaminate the, um, the pure, this pure sinless baby, Jesus, in her womb. That she, she, was, she had to be sinless as well. That's, that's one kind of teaching that we, we may have heard. And yet Romans 3 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us including Mary. All of us have sinned and, and, and fallen short. Another, another way that people have talked about Mary is that she is often defined as a mediatrix. That's a strange word. But this idea that Mary is some kind of mediator between us and God. And that when we pray to God, we should pray through Mary. But again, 1 Timothy 2 there's one mediator between God and man, 
the man Christ Jesus. Another term that's often applied to Mary is, is that she's a, a, a co-redemptrix. Uh, the idea that she is some sort of redeemer along with Jesus. That salvation is found through Jesus, but Mary helps us get there. And again, Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name by which you are saved. Others have termed Mary as the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. Now here's the deal. okay? It's right for us to honour somebody. And right for us to honour this woman in, in the role that she played. But it's completely wrong for us to worship her. It's wrong for us to give her positions and titles that were reserved for Jesus. They were reserved for Jesus alone. So as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 1, I think it's clear um, that we, we understand that some, some of the things that people have said about Mary are completely misunderstood. Because the title she gives herself isn't mediatrix or co-redemptix or, or, or queen of heaven. She doesn't give herself those titles. She simply refers to herself as the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant. And so we're going to pick up in verse, 20, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, Nazareth was a small, incidental town. Um, I, I imagine when God said to Gabriel, go, go there, he said, where? He, he wasn't quite sure where it was. Um, um, but the angel, the angel is sent to Nazareth in the town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. There's two very interesting words there. Highly favoured. Highly favoured. It's a little bit of a surprise that, that the angel of the Lord uses that statement. You see, if you were to hold Mary up to the world's standards, I'm not sure that we would describe her as highly favoured. We would probably say that she was completely overlooked. But we wouldn't say she was highly favoured. But by the world standards, Mary was a complete nobody. She was a complete nobody in backward Galilee. A nobody from nowhere. That was Mary. And, 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 and we can all feel like that, can't we? We can all feel overlooked at times. We can all feel like who we are is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And yet in God's eyes, in his economy, he calls people like Mary and he calls people like you and me highly favoured, highly favoured. And so the angel Gabriel says, greetings you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. How many of us need to hear that in this season? The Lord is with you. You're highly favoured. He's, he's near to you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You found favor with God. And so as I read this passage again, I think the thing, the question that was, it provoked in me was what, uh, what is it about Mary that brought about God's favor? What, what was it that marked her life that invited God to bless her in the way that he did at this time? And I'm sure, you know, we would all like to experience God's favor, wouldn't we? We'd all love to have God's, a sense that God's favor is upon us, that God's favor is upon our lives, upon, upon our families. But what is it that invites that kind of favor, that kind of blessing of God into our lives? Forbes, Forbes magazine, which is a business magazine, every, every year they, they make a list of the world's most powerful people. Okay, the most powerful people. They say this, there's nearly 7.5 billion people on the planet. These are the 75 that matter, um, uh, according to Forbes. And when they rank these 75 most powerful people each year, they have four different sets of criteria. Uh, the first is, is they measure the number of people a person has power over. Okay, So how much power do they have over? How many people do they have power over? The second criteria is this, the amount of financial resources at their disposal. Okay, So how much resource do they have? The third thing is, does this candidate have power in multiple spheres? So not just in one place, but in multiple places. Do they exert power in different ways? And the fourth criteria is, how actively do they use this power? How actively do they use this power? Um, anybody know who the most powerful being in the world right now is? Do you, do you know? Other than Jesus, of course. Um, there's a guy called Xi Jinping, who's the, uh, the Chinese dictator. You know, some people think, oh, it's Donald Trump or Angela Merkel, isn't it? But no, actually, it's the Chinese dictator. He's currently cast, according to Forbes, according to those criterias, as the most powerful person in the world. And so according to Forbes magazine, those criterias, those kinds of people in our culture are classed as the most influential and powerful. And so if you are to make that list, I'm hoping to get there next year, okay? So get, get your votes in. I guess the question is, how does Mary fare up against that list, that criteria. Surely when God was planning to um, incarnate himself amongst men, uh, he would look for the right person. Surely he would consult Forbes magazine. You know, the list is there every year. Surely he would have done that. He, he needed to get this right. But how does Mary fare against that list? Well, when, when it comes to having power over other, others, Mary has none. She has no power whatsoever. She didn't have any political influence. She, 
She had no say on anyone. She was a woman, probably a teenager, in a male-dominated culture. She had no power whatsoever. What about her finances? Well, she was poor. In fact, Mary and Joseph were so poor that when it came to make the sacrificial offering for their child, which was their custom to do, they couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice, so they bought two birds instead. Kind of ironic, isn't it, that, that the, um, the, the sacrifice, they couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb for the sacrificial lamb. That, that, that's how poor they were. Mary didn't have an impressive CV. She didn't have multiple connections on LinkedIn. She hadn't accomplished anything of any significance. She hadn't been to university. Uh, she was engaged to be married uh, to someone who wasn't going to change the world. Um, she was engaged to a carpenter. Mary wouldn't make the Forbes list of most powerful people. But she does make God's list. She does make God's list of highly favoured people. And so what are the things, what are the things, the qualities that we might think get you on God's list of highly favoured people? What is he looking for? And, and I'm sure we could make a mental list, integrity and honesty and faithfulness. We could, we could make all kinds of lists. But the one that really gets God's attention and really draws his favour is the one that we see evident in Mary's life. And that she had a humble spirit. She lived in humility. This is what makes this woman, more than anything else, um, uh, you know, more than anything else in this list, the thing that draws her out, the thing that um, sets her apart is that she, she is this humble woman who's, who's fully aware of how small she is and how big God is. See, humility opens the door of God's favour on our lives. That's what humility does. When we simply humble ourselves and say, God, I need your help. God, I've messed up. God, I can't fix this on my own. God, I've blown it with my kids. But you're the one who can redeem anything. Do we believe that? That God can redeem anything. He can make all things new. God, I need your help. That's the kind of humility that draws in God's favour. That's the kind of humility that God, God's favour is attracted to. And the problem is humility is something we all long to have, isn't it? We all long for more humility in our lives. And yet, when was the last time we prayed, God, make me more humble? Anyone? We don't pray those kind of prayers, do we? We don't pray, God, give me, make me more humble. Make me more humble, please, God. And one of the things I've noticed as a pastor in the church is, is um, Christians get really weird with humility. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever like complimented someone who's a Christian and they, they get all flustered, don't they? They get all strange and they sort of like start doing these weird hand gestures like going, oh, it's all for him. It's all for him. You know? And they kind of like defer, they defer that, that kind of praise or that, that appreciation that someone has for them. 
It's all just just giving God the glory. You know, that, that that's kind of the, men, the mentality that we have. And we kind of have a weird kind of sense of what humility is. I think C.S. Lewis said it the best. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And it's, hum- it's a humility of heart that brings a humble spirit that invites God's blessing into our lives, invites God's favor into our lives. Psalm 18 says, uh, you save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Proverbs 3:34 says, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2, those, uh, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. James 4, 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before him and he lifts you up. Over and over again, we see God's promise of blessing and favor is attracted to our willingness to humble ourselves before him. It's like God's saying to us, stop acting like you've got it all figured out. Stop acting like you know what's best for you, like you can fix the problem. Guess what? You can't. You can't fix it. You're not good enough. You, you won't get there. And God says, call on me. I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to pour my favor and blessing upon you. Just humble yourself before me. And so Mary demonstrates this humility of heart when the angel reveals to her that she's going to be pregnant with a child. And here's what Mary's response is. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And so Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who's, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And um, in verse 46, Elizabeth, she compliments Mary, she says, you're blessed. Uh, blessed are you amongst women. And, 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 and as a response, Mary sings this song, this song that many of us are familiar with. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his, of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he had promised our ancestors. And so we see Mary begins to describe how she sees herself in light of what God has done and who God is. She isn't puffed up. She isn't trying to make a name for herself. Uh, she's just a humble servant. Uh, she goes out of a way to say, 
who am I in all of this? I'm just his humble servant. <laughs> I'm just the, the humble member of the, the party. God gets all the glory. Now, those of you who are looking at this in an NIV Bible, I, I really like the NIV Bible, but sometimes it really annoys me um, because the, the truer rendering of that word servant should actually be slave. It should actually be slave. I am your humble slave. You know, Mary says, she doesn't say, I'm your mediatrix or I'm the queen of heaven. She says, I'm your humble slave. In other words, she's a person who gives up her rights. That she, uh, she was a person who was given over to the purposes of God in her life. But if you think about it for a minute, Mary had a lot of reasons that she could have been, she could have been proud, couldn't she? She could have been proud. Out of all the women in the world throughout human history, she was the one God chose to give birth to the saviour of the world. That's something to be proud of, isn't it? Uh, what about the fact that she raised a perfect child? Um, that's, that's something to be proud of, isn't it? You know, um, she, she raised a perfect child. She, she could justifiably say, my son is the reason for the season. Um, um, uh, she, she could have done all of that. She could have been proud of her position, but her spirit was a spirit of humility, that she humbled herself where, she, where pride didn't take its place. Pride is something that we all have to deal with, isn't it? Pride is something that we all struggle with. We all have to face at different times. And the moment we don't think we struggle with pride is when we're really struggling with it. <laughs> the, the moment we think, you know, I'm not proud. I'm proud of not being proud. Oh, no, I, I, I'm proud. Um, but, you know, we, pride uh, convinces us often that we're not proud. And here's the deal. If humility opens the door to God's favor in our lives, then pride probably closes it. Pride often closes the door to God's favor. Some of you may have heard of Beth Moore, who's um, has had a bit of a challenge recently with some more conservative wings of the church. But she wrote this poem, which I thought was really fitting about pride. She says this, my name is pride and I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you desire better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of me to, uh, of, to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out of the window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of, of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. My name is Pride and I am a cheater. You see, that's what pride does to us. It cheats us 
of all the blessing and favor that God wants to give us. And so we have Mary, this humble servant, overlooked by everyone else's standards, not considered to be the greatest person in the pack. Everyone else would look down on her, but God says she is highly favored. She's highly favored by me. And, and we hear a song, and in it, she acknowledges who she is. She acknowledges the humble place that she's to take, and yet how great God is in, in this whole story. Nine times she uses the word he, six times the word his. It's all about him. It's got nothing to do with me. The point of the song is about God himself. The, the song she sings is about God's greatness. It's about God's glory in this season. That God's going to do something amazing. He's going to redeem mankind. He's going to draw us back to himself. That's the story we continue to tell. And so the challenge and the question I have for you this morning is what song do you have in your hearts? What song are you singing in your heart this Christmas season? Are we so wrapped up in our own stuff? Are we busy trying to fix everything ourselves that the song that we have in our hearts is, is simply a song that's focused on us? A song that's just all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my problems. It's all about who I am and how insignificant I feel? Or are we in a place this Christmas season where we're humble enough to receive his favor and let him be the song of our hearts? Let him be the one who, who is on our lips, the one that we're proclaiming glory to, the one that we're giving praise to. What song is in our hearts? What song is in our hearts this Christmas? How, how do we present ourselves before the Lord this morning?